Good morning. I'm all in. Are you all in? It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, you remembered. Good. From 1947 to 1963, Bud Wilkinson was head coach of the University of Oklahoma's football team. And one night after a game, a reporter asked him, so how do you think collegiate football has contribute, contributed to the overall physical fitness of America? And Coach Wilkinson was somewhat taken aback. And he answered, I don't think it's contributed anything to the overall physical fitness of America. And the reporter was somewhat confused. And so the reporter said, what do you mean? And Wilkinson responded, look, I look at collegiate football as 22 young men on the field of play desperately needing rest and 50,000 people in the stands desperately needing exercise. And maybe some people could apply that concept to the church as well. You know, Christianity, unfortunately, has become a spectator sport. We come in on Sunday, we sit down, and we leave it up to the pros to perform. I mean, after all, that's what they get paid to do, right? But what if somebody were to ask you, who's the minister at the Oldham Lane Church of Christ? How would you respond? More than likely, you would say Chris McCurley. But that's not exactly true. No, the correct response would be, which minister are you talking about? Because we have about a thousand of them. Now, if you're talking about the ugly guy that we pay way too much money to stand up and make sports analogies, then Chris McCurley is the right answer. But if you're talking about who is the minister here, well, we have many of them. You see, we need to change this faulty thinking that ministry is left up to the ones who have a college degree, who graduated from a Christian university. Ministers are not just the ones who get paid to stand up and teach or preach. Ministers are not just the ones who get paid to work with the youth or the children. Ministers are not just the ones who work in the mission field. Deacons are not the only ministers. Shepherds are not the only ones who do ministry. Ministering is not relegated to the Sunday assembly, and Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. Ministers are this. Ministers are people who are crazy in love with Jesus. That's who a minister is. You were saved to serve, but you were also shaped to serve. And you will never look more like Jesus than when you are serving. I think all too often we look at the church as self-service instead of full service. I can remember as a kid riding in the passenger seat with my mom or dad and then pulling up to a gas station and an attendant coming out and my dad or mom rolling down the window and saying, fill her up. And that attendant would put gas in your vehicle while washing your windshield and also, if you wanted him to, checking the fluids underneath your hood. We called it a full-service gas station. They're a rarity nowadays. Now, nowadays, everything's self-service, right? You pull up to the gas pump, you pay at the pump, you pump your gas for yourself. If you want to clean your windshield, you got to do that yourself. If you want to check the fluids, you got to do that yourself. And church, a lot of times, is seen as a self-service station rather than a full-service station. Many people go to church to get fuel. They fuel up, they head home, and they come back the next week to get more fuel. The church, however, was created to be a full-service station managed by skilled attendants who use their God-given gifts and abilities to serve the well-being of their members. After all, worship is not just selfish. It's not only about you. 
It's not only about filling up ourselves. It's about filling up one another. I, I believe with all my heart that God wants Oldham Lane to be a full-service church. Understand, to be a full-service church is going to be unique because there's not many of them. Just as there are not many full-service gas stations, there's not many full-service churches either. That's because far too many Christians come to church to be filled rather than to fill others. They want to come and get their blessings rather than be a blessing. But the Lord's church should be filled with full-service Christians, not self-serving saints. This should be a place where you and I take our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our time, and we use them to benefit those who are outside of ourselves. What happens all too often is the local church becomes institutionalized rather than personalized. We serve in a ministry, we serve on a committee, we teach a Bible class, which are all important things, and I don't mean to belittle those things at all. But why do we do them? Because it's very possible to keep the institution rolling along and our heart not be completely in it, or we not be crazy about Jesus. We could have an elder stand up here and beg and plead for us to have more Bible class teachers. We could have an elder shoulder tap you walking down the hall and say, we really need you to teach Bible class. Please, please, please teach Bible class. And you say, okay, you twisted my arm. You broke me down. I'll teach Bible class. But is that who we want teaching our Bible classes? Is somebody who gets broken down, who feels guilted into it, somebody who feels like it's an obligation? I want you serving because you're crazy about Jesus. I want you serving because you have a passion for it, whatever the duty is. Now, there's always going to be some things that we have to do, whether we like them or not. I know as a minister, there are certain tasks that you take on. You don't necessarily like doing them, but you, there's an obligation there. But by and large, what we do should be a result of who we are. We have been saved to serve, but we've also been shaped to serve. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. And I want you to notice what Paul is saying here. He's saying that your service is based on your salvation. You've heard that before, haven't you? Salvation comes with a responsibility. You've heard it from this pulpit. Salvation comes with a responsibility. Service occurs in the context of grace. Receptors of grace are conduits of grace. Paul is pointing to the meaning and motivation of service. Serve one another in what? Well, he says love, right? You serve someone that you're totally in love with. When you're crazy about the other person, serving is never seen as an obligation. And I'm not talking about the person you're serving. Because some of the people you serve, you don't know them. So you don't know whether to like them, much less love them. I'm talking about the one you're doing this for. I'm talking about being crazy in love with Jesus. And because you love him so much and you're so passionate about his will and his way, that you love this. It's what you, what you live for. You're passionate about compassion. Remember at the beginning of this series and we talked about how salvation does come with a responsibility. And we started out talking about growth. We talked about transformation. We talked about then evangelism and how that helps us in our spiritual maturity. And then we talked about teaching. And all of these are responsibilities that come with our salvation. And serving is no different. Serving can be a good measure of spiritual health. As we grow in the gospel and allow it to shape and mold us, we develop a compassion for others. When we invest 
full on in a relationship with God, our eyes are open to the needs of other people. Our hearts become so in tune with Jesus that he begins to use us to meet the needs of others. It was many years ago, back in 1982, that uh, the University of Wisconsin was taking on I believe it was Michigan or Michigan State in a big uh, rivalry game. Uh, a lot of implications on the line. And Wisconsin was getting destroyed in their home stadium. It, it wasn't even competitive. And yet all throughout the stadium, you could hear cheers at random times. It was an odd thing. The fans were cheering their team getting beaters. At least that's what it seemed like. What others didn't know is that many people in the stands had on headphones and were listening to the Milwaukee Brewers take on my beloved St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. And the Brewers were winning. So they would cheer at these random times because they weren't even in tune to the game that was going on on the field. They were listening to a game outside of themselves. We're tuned to a different frequency. And because we're tuned to a different frequency, we look at life and we look at other people differently. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when we did, when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did, one of, uh, did it to one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. You know, this tells me something. This tells me that I'm a minister and that I have no excuse. None of us do. I mean, any of you can give the hungry something to eat. Any of you can give the thirsty something to drink. Most of you can clothe the naked. Virtually all of us can do that, right? I mean, salvation depends on it, Jesus says. It all comes down to this. Not everyone can preach. Not everyone can serve as an elder or a deacon. But everyone can do something. Actually, there's two things you can't do. You know what they are? Everything and nothing. Those are the two things you can't do. You can't do everything. But you also can't do nothing. you got to do something. Everyone can be a sheep. All it takes is being so in tune to Jesus that you see Jesus in others. Notice what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. He says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the part, body's parts do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. 
If prophecy, in proportion to one's faith. If service, in the act of serving. Or the one who teaches in the act of teaching. Or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation. The one who gives with generosity. The one who is in leadership with diligence. The one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know what all this says to me? It says that we all have a gift. We all have a gift. It also tells me that we are to use our gift or gifts, not in a self-directed manner, in a manner that is God-glorifying. The church needs all the gifts that we have. Paul may have been referring to spiritual gifts of a miraculous nature, but our gifts, gifts, while they're different, the same principle applies. We are to use these gifts, these talents and abilities, whether it be teaching, singing, hospitality, financial, whatever it is, there's at least one gift that we all have. There is no such thing as a zero-talent individual. There are no nobodies in the kingdom of God. We are stewards not spectators. Know what a steward is? In the ancient world, there were two different forms as it applied to a steward. The first was a dispenser, and a dispenser was responsible for all domestic arrangements of a household. He ordered in and divided out all the household supplies. The second type of steward was known as a bailiff or a villicus. He was in charge of the master's estate, and he acted as a landlord to his master's uh, tenants. The key concept with both these types of stewards is that the steward understood very plainly that nothing belonged to him. Everything was placed in his hands, even though it didn't belong to him, it belonged to the master, which meant that he was always answerable to the master, and that's us. Whatever it is that we possess, whatever gift that we have received, it belongs to the master. We are stewards, not owners. We don't own anything. It may be in our possession, but it belongs to him. Therefore, we have a responsibility to use that gift in a God-directed manner, to glorify him. You see where Elvis Presley has a new song? And it's a hit. Yeah, it's called Rubbernecking. Apparently, this song was found hidden somewhere in a studio. I don't know where the studio was. But they dug it up. They've even taken old clips of the hip-swinging singer from yesteryear, and they've, they've produced a video for the song. And it's a hit. Over 40 years since his death, Elvis is still churning out music that's, that's a hit. You would think that somebody as famous and as wealthy as Elvis would be the happiest person on the planet. But he wasn't. In fact, he was miserable. He died at the ripe old age of 42, mainly from obesity and and drug use. Here's what his wife Priscilla said. This is interesting. She said, Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought that he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage so he wouldn't have to think about it. Isn't that interesting? That it rattled around in his brain that he was here for a reason, and maybe that reason was to preach. Maybe that reason was to serve. He even thought about ministry. And yet, he pushed it aside. In favor of other things. Elvis knew deep down inside that he had a gift that he was supposed to use for something unique in life, but he never found it. Maybe it's because he looked for it in all the wrong places. I don't know. But let's not make the same mistake. Let's be in tune to Jesus' frequency. 
in tune with what we have been given, in tune with His mission, so that when Jesus returns, He finds us being Jesus to His people. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4. Beginning in verse 7, it reads like this. The end of all things is near, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The story is told of a, a very wealthy man who dies, and he had these really expensive pieces of art, like worth millions of dollars. Before his passing, though, his son had died some years earlier. His son was to be his only heir, but now that he was gone, they were going to have an auction to sell off these very expensive items that he had accrued in his life, the items that would have gone to his son had he not died. And so everybody gathered on the lawn to see these wonderful, majestic pieces of art, hoping to outbid the next person so that they could get them. But the first item on the auction block was actually a painting done by the sun. And it was very raw, very ugly. Nobody wanted to bid on it because it looked like a color by numbers type of portrait. And so the bidding opened up and nobody bid. Nobody wanted it. So finally, from the back, walked this, this really old man who came to the front and pulled out $2. And he said, I bid $2. And the auctioneer recognized him. He was a man who had lived with the son and the father. He was a servant in their household. And he bid $2. And, and the auctioneer slammed down the gavel and said, sold. And people were clamoring and kind of laughing, thinking that the old man may have been off kilter a little bit. But they were anxiously awaiting the next item that came out, which was one of the million-dollar pieces waiting to bid, eager to bid on it. As it came out, the auctioneer slammed down the gavel again and said, auction over. And now everybody was really confused. What's going on? The auctioneer explained. In his will, the wealthy man left specific instructions to offer the sale of his son's painting first. And whoever bought his son's painting would get the entire collection. The master had decided well in advance that whoever loved his son enough to accept his work could also have all the other benefits that belong to the Father. Folks, if you lose sight of grace, you lose sight of your purpose. Everything we do is in the context of grace. Grace is the basis of our service. That's what Paul was driving at. It's what Jesus was driving at. It's what Peter was driving at. Look at it again. Verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. We are stewards of grace. And being stewards of grace means, any ideas? It means that you serve. Good guess. It means that we are servants. 
Like Paul, Peter also reminds us that God never calls us where he doesn't equip us. You see, as each one has received a gift, Peter says, God has things for you to do and God has equipped you to do those things. Each one, Peter says, no one is exempt here. Each and every one of us are a tool in God's toolbox. We don't all do the same thing, but we can all do something. We, can, we can't all do everything, but we can all do at least one thing. I had the pleasure of coaching a young man by the name of Bobby. Bobby was five foot ten, wiry. He was not an intimidating guy at all. But he was a spark plug. I called him a pest what he was he was a pest on the court I also called him an arsonist I said Bobby you just set things on fire and it's contagious it spreads I love it one time we were playing the number one team in the state of Arkansas and it was in a tournament and the bus broke down so we were late getting there we didn't have time to warm up or anything and I told Bobby we're a huge underdog here but I want to put you on their best player and see what happens and he didn't start he didn't at that point get to play much their best player was a, a kid that got drafted by the Cincinnati Reds, but he was just as good of a basketball player. And so I said, I want you to wear him like a second shirt. You got me? And he said, yes, sir. In fact, at one point in the game, when they called a timeout, he walked over to the huddle with him. I said, Bobby, yeah, come over here. He said, well, you told me to stay on him. <laughs> by the end of the game, even though he wasn't very intimidating, he had pestered that kid to death. We ended up winning that game. And a lot of it was due to Bobby. And, of course, he arrived on the scene after that. You know, we beat the number one team in the state. Bobby got all the accolades. Again, wasn't an intimidating fellow, wasn't very talented, couldn't shoot the ball worth a lick. But he was a pest. He was a spark plug. He set things on fire. And everyone around him fed off his energy. And that's what I would want for us. Let's be people who set this place on fire. Let's set the world on fire. Let's be a spark plug. Let's be people who, who spread the grace of God. Let's give people a front row seat to the awesome grace of God. But there's two things that we need to remember here. I don't want to go in a completely different direction, but I do want to remind you of two things you can't do. There are two pitfalls here that we've got to be careful of. And the first one is don't secularize the spiritual. Don't secularize your God-given gift. All too often, this is what happens. Someone takes the ability and the talent that God gives them and they use it only to make money or only to climb the ladder in their career or, or only to be famous. And there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with being famous even. But that's not your God-given purpose. That's not what you are to be about. That's not why God has blessed you. Your God-given ability is not to be used for the secular it is to be used to glorify God in everything that you do. So don't secularize the spiritual. And secondly, don't give God your crumbs. Don't give Him your leftovers. God deserves more than that. Over and over again in Scripture, we see that God demanded our best. He demands your best. Never did He accept something that was less than the best. Never was it okay to say, well, good enough. You know the illustration about the guy who had a prized cow and it gave birth to not one but two calves? And he was so thankful for God's blessing, he told his wife, I'm going to give one of these calves back to God. And she said, which one? He said, it doesn't matter. I don't have to decide that right now. And so as he raised them up, he went in and told his wife one day, I've decided which calf I'm going to give to the Lord. And she said, which one? He said, the red one. And she said, how did you decide that? And he said, well, it's got a limp. 
I figure I'll give that one to God and I'll keep the other one. Don't give God your crumbs. Don't give him less than the best. Use the talent and the ability that he has given you and make it spread. Glorify him. Make certain that you are taking that gift and not cheapening it. Notice verse 11 again. Peter says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, speaking through Peter, says, Do it all with me in mind. Serve God in a way that glorifies Him. If you're using your lips to talk, do it in a way that glorifies Him. If you're using your brain to think, do it in a way that glorifies God. If you're using your hands to serve, do so in a way that glorifies God. Let your service be endorsed by God. I am God and I approve this messenger. Right? That's what you want Him to say. And do not forget that ultimately this is about the grace of God and how He uses us to show His grace. This is one of the primary purposes for the Christian, to blow people away with God's grace. We give people a front row seat to the grace of God. I am a receptor of grace, which also means that I am a conduit of grace. The two go hand in hand. I show off to the world what God can do with one person. Folks, if you talk to anybody I went to high school with, they could tell you some stories. If you talk to my high school friends or people who knew me in high school, they would say, I never imagined that Chris McCurley would be preaching. Yeah, because that's what grace does. It totally and completely changes you. It turns your life around. I am 180 degrees from what I was because of the grace of God, because that's what grace does. It changes you from the inside out. It brings about a radical transformation. And not only can it do that for me, it can do that for every single one of us. You walk into about any department store, and you're going to see mannequins. We also call them dummies. And these dummies are dressed in the latest fashion. They've got on expensive jewelry, name brand clothing. Why? Why would you dress up a dummy so well? Well, in some stores, they have in their storefront these mannequins all dressed up because the hope is you'll walk by and be enticed to come into the store. That's the why. Hopefully, you'll walk by and you'll see these dummies all dressed up and you'll want to walk inside. And when you walk inside, you're opened up to a whole other world. The things that were on those mannequins in the storefront, that's just a microcosm of what's inside the store. Sometimes there's several stories of merchandise and you can, you can pick through it. You can, you can shop for all the latest name brands and latest styles. So the purpose of these mannequins and the reason why they're all dressed up so magnificently is to lure you inside into the presence of all this other merchandise. You see where I'm going with this? God has called you, dummy, right? And his, he has graced you with magnificent beauty. He has made you to look good. And the only reason you are on display is because of His grace. The reason He has dressed you up in His grace is so that somebody else will be drawn to you, will be enticed to come and see what this is all about, and then maybe have their whole world opened up as they learn about the grace and the glory, the manifold grace available to them. So my prayer is, my prayer is that we will be a congregation of 
dummies maybe, I don't know. I, I pray that we will be a congregation of folks who are all dressed up in the grace of God and who attract others who want to know about that grace that we have been clothed in so that others can see us serving Him and want to do the same. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for this church. Thank You for this family. Thank You for dressing us up in Your grace. Thank You for opening up the kingdom to us. Thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And God, may we always seek to serve. May we take May we take this responsibility very seriously. And may we go set the world on fire. We love you, God, and it's your son's precious name that we pray. Amen. How can we help you this morning? Don's going to lead us in a song. If we can pray with you, we can encourage you. If you want to set up a Bible study, if, you, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, whatever your need is, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.